Welcome in, everybody, to episode 225 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Inner Sports Podcast. Great show today. Uh, it's Monday, February 17th. I hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day weekend. Hope everybody got that gift they were hoping for, that box of chocolates, those flowers, that 12 hours of basketball, whatever you wanted for Valentine's Day weekend. I hope you got it. We do have a great show today, a little bit different today. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, the uh, the calls of America have been answered. Many of you, I've had, I'm not kidding, probably a dozen of you say, hey, Where's Nick Coffee? When's Nick Coffee coming back? I want Nick more, I, more coffee, less Torres. More coffee, less Torres. So this is what we're gonna do. Uh, me and Nick talked for about forty-five minutes today. We had a, a somewhat limited window, and, and I say somewhat limited because when he and I start talking, we always go long. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open on the show with a couple topics that we didn't get to. I'm gonna open on the show with the single most important result of the weekend, the University of Maryland beating Michigan State. I'm going to tell you why in this tournament, this year, where there are no great teams, there are no definitive favorites in this tournament, Maryland is good enough to win it. They are also good enough to lose on the first weekend of the tournament. We saw basically every side of Maryland on Saturday at Michigan State maybe very briefly go over UConn, UConn's win over Memphis on Sunday, although I'll be honest, typical Nostra Torres, you know how Torres rocks. I told you that this Memphis downfall was coming a week ago, so I don't even know if I'm going to hit on it. Then we will get to Nick Coffey. We talk a lot about his Louisville Cardinals. I give him him a ton of credit because he was very transparent. He was very honest. He was very critical of Louisville. We talk a little bit of Kentucky, and I think Nick and I were both a little bit critical of Kentucky as well, kind of in this weird season where they play these incredible games against the best competition that they play at Texas Tech, Michigan State, Louisville, uh, but then they struggle as they did again Saturday with Ole Miss, uh, and then we actually talk Duke. You know, it's interesting. I just feel like there hasn't been a ton to talk about with Duke. I know I talked certainly about the North Carolina game last week, but it didn't feel like there's these big overarching topics. But I now think that we're in a position where Duke very well could win the ACC regular season title, and Nick thinks that they're good enough to win the national championship, and, and, and I certainly agree with him, but we talk a little bit of Duke. I will come back, wrap up, shout out of the day, and uh, we will get out of here. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the place to listen. That is where I listen to this show, so the Podcast Addict is the way to go. Also, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to this show, make sure you're subscribed so you can automatically get the newest episode downloaded straight to your phone or computer wherever you listen to the show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And if you want to, you can even be like my buddy over here, MW Drag, who says, I miss Nick. Love the podcast. Love you, Aaron. Just miss having a little back and forth conversation. Well, MW Drag, your questions have been answered. Your hopes have been answered because Nick Coffee will join me in about 20 minutes. But also for people who are new to the show, make sure to subscribe, make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Uh, also, if you're not following the Aaron Torres podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Fun weekend there. Uh, gave out some college hoops winners. So I appreciate everybody who is following me on the Aaron Torres podcast Instagram page. Again, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so as I said, this will be a very quick opening segment. I think I'll do four or five minutes on the University of Maryland. Then we're going to get straight to Nick Coffey because Nick and I did talk for about 40, 45 minutes. And I will start with the University of Maryland by simply saying this. It was, as I said off the top, the single most important result of the weekend. They do go to Michigan State, and I've certainly talked enough about Michigan State throughout this podcast throughout the season, but they go to Michigan State, they get the victory 67-60, to 60, uh, and it was very much, if you followed Maryland, if you've kind of followed the trajectory of this program over the last couple years, um, you know that this was very much uh, basically who Maryland is and what they're about and what they do. They jumped out to this incredible lead 
They silence the crowd. They're up by 14 points in the first half. They look like they're going to run away with this thing. And then they immediately come out in the second half. And I'm not kidding when I say this. For about 16 minutes in the second half, they didn't get a good shot the entire second half. And Michigan State wasn't even playing that well. And Maryland still, uh, you know, uh, was barely able to hold on to the lead. Uh, Maryland ends up falling all the way down by seven points, then coming all the way back and winning. And so as I said off the top, I do want to talk about Maryland because I feel like I've talked about every other kind of relevant national championship contender. I certainly talked about San Diego State and Dayton the other day. I talked about Seton Hall throughout the season. I've talked about Louisville and Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and all the teams that I do think can win it all. I haven't talked very much about Maryland. And so I do want to talk about Maryland, but from a couple different contexts. One, I want to talk about them as the team that can absolutely win the national championship, but I also want to talk about them from the context of the team that I just don't think is good enough to do it and is, is I, I think there are flaws. Let me put it to you that way. And so let me start with the positive because the positive is it is hard to pick apart this Maryland basketball program. This is a team that came into the season pretty hyped. I mean, I, I went back and looked just to see where I had them. And in my preseason poll, I had them at number five. I had Maryland at number five. They returned basically all their key pieces off last year's team that made the second round of the NCAA tournament. Tremont Waters from LSU hit a buzzer beater to beat them to advance. Uh, otherwise, Maryland would have been in the Sweet 16 last year, but they get back their point guard, Anthony Cowan. They get back their big guy, Jalen Smith. And they go, come into this season with really high expectations. And I will give them a ton of credit because while they were not great early, while they took some weird losses early, they really did bounce back sort of in the middle of Big Ten play. And as we sit here on the 17th of February, as we sit here with literally about a month until Selection Sunday, which is kind of insane, Maryland is currently 21-4 and and 11 and 3 in the Big 10 which is the toughest conference in college basketball. You can argue uh, maybe the Big East or whatever. But I'm telling you right now, there are no easy games in the Big Ten. That's why I think you're seeing a team like Indiana now fighting for their, their lives in the NCAA tournament picture. Ohio State fighting for their lives in the NCAA tournament picture. Michigan was awesome. They get one injury and they can't win a game in the Big Ten. Then they get the kid back, Isaiah Livers. Now they're winning again. And so I bring all this up to say that the Big Ten is really good and Maryland's in first place at 11-3 overall. And so this is a real team with real skill and real talent. They have the wins to back it up. If you look at their schedule, they beat Illinois twice. Illinois was playing about as well as anybody in the Big Ten, and they just beat Illinois on the road. They beat Iowa at home. Iowa is in currently in third place in the Big Ten. They just won at Michigan, which is tied for third place with Iowa and Rutgers. Um they have all these great wins, and so there's nothing not to like about this team. And I would say this too. In a sport where we claim that there's no, no good players, Maryland's got the dudes to back it up, right? And like there are some teams that they have nice records and, and whatever, but you look at them and you say, I, I don't know if they got the guys. Like, like Louisville, and Nick Coffey and I are going to talk about this in a minute. Like you watch Louisville, and I don't care what their record is. I don't care that they're in second place in the ACC one game behind Duke. I watch Louisville and I say, I don't think they got the dudes to win six straight games. I really don't. I have questions about other teams. Michigan State, I think, is certainly one. But you look at Maryland. There is no questioning that they got the guys to win it all. They have a senior point guard in Anthony Cowan, a kid who I think, and it's only my opinion, but smartly decided to come back to college after last season. He was a junior. He was very productive, but he he's a guy that, let's be honest, I don't know if he has an NBA future, but he averages 16 points a game, uh, five rebound or five assists, and that dude made some daggers against Michigan State. That dude made two huge threes at Michigan State to win that game. So veteran point guard. They got a kid named Jalen Smith down low who, to me, Jalen Smith is 2020 P.J. Washington. And what I mean by that is this. We obviously have a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show. We all know what happened with P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington was a McDonald's All-American, comes to Kentucky, has a very nice freshman year, tests the NBA draft waters, but ultimately decides to come back, busts his butt, gets in the weight room, improves his skill set. P.J. Washington then ends up as a lottery pick and has been phenomenal with the Charlotte Hornets. Well, Jalen Smith basically followed that trajectory. 
McDonald's All-American, comes to Maryland last year, plays behind this kid Bruno Fernando, who is essentially the only player that Maryland lost off of last year's team, and decides after last season, he doesn't even test the draft waters. I give him credit. He knew he wasn't ready, and he decided to come back, and he has balled out. This guy's averaging 15 points a game, 10 boards. He's shooting threes. He's shooting close to 40% from three. And I'm telling you, when you talk about a guy that I think could be a lottery pick by draft night, I think it's this kid. He's seven feet tall. He can handle the ball. He can block shots. He can shoot threes. He does it all. He's very much a modern NBA player. And so you have him, you have Cowan, and then you have these great wing players that all complement each other nicely. They have a kid that's named Eric Ayala who's basically like a playmaker off the dribble. He's great getting into the lane, had a couple really nice passes. Uh, They have a kid, Aaron Wiggins, no relation to Aaron Torres. Don't know if you knew that or not, but no relation to me. Um, he is a, uh, he's a really good three-point shooter. And then they got a kid, Daryl Morsell, who's kind of a lockdown defender. And so they have all these awesome pieces, and it came together, and it has come together this season for Maryland. And they are now, as I said, 21-4 and four in the Big Ten. And listen, they were a three-seed in that way-too-early mock bracket, but... They are now going to be on the two line, and I think they're a team that could mess around and end up with a number one seed when it's all said and done. What I would also say is this. I spent the last four or five minutes talking about how great they are and all the good things. I think Sunday also showed what some of their problems are, what some of their limitations are, why so many people that cover this sport are concerned about them, myself certainly included. And the reason is very simply this. It's very simply They can, at times, play down to competition. They barely beat Nebraska, which is in uh, 13th place out of 14 teams in the Big Ten right now. They needed basically a block shot at the buzzer to beat Nebraska. And then, on top of that, I just don't know if I trust Mark Turgeon as their head coach. And this is the problem. And this is something that if you follow me, if you follow any kind of national college basketball writer that isn't afraid to share opinions, I give Rob Douster credit. He's kind of talked about this. Uh, my buddy Bobby Regan at Barstool Sports, he talks about this. You know, Mark Turgeon just kind of has a reputation as like, you know, I don't know that that's a guy that we can trust in March. And it's funny because I do go back to what I wrote in the preseason And this is the last line of my Maryland preview. I had Maryland in the top five in the preseason coming into this year. And I said, again, the talent is there at Maryland. Now it's up to Mark Turgeon to help reach its potential. And so why do I bring it up? It's because very simply, Mark Turgeon has a reputation where his teams do not reach their expectations. And I went back and looked at it just to make sure. And I want to, you know, I'm all, you know, you guys know how I do this show. I always like to kind of have facts to back up my opinions. And so I went back and looked it up. Uh, Mark Turgeon has now been a Power Five coach in a Power Five conference since 2007, 2008. So this is now 13 years. I would add, by the way, he was at Texas A&M before uh, Maryland. He actually was the guy, uh, a lot of Kentucky fans are going to, I don't know if you'll like this reference or not, but he was actually the guy that replaced Billy Gillespie at Texas A&M, uh, took over at Texas A&M, basically had Billy Gillespie's players, they go to four straight NCAA tournaments, and in 13 years as a head coach at the Power 5 level, he has now been to the NCAA tournament 10 times, so I can't really criticize him there, or excuse me, he's been there technically nine, he'll be there 10 this year, but... He's only been to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament once. And you think about the schools that he's been at. I'm not saying that Texas A&M's a basketball power, but he's been at Maryland since, I believe, the 2012 season. And he has only made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament once. And Maryland is a school that when you get it rolling at Maryland, you probably should be better than one Sweet 16 in nine years at a school. Um, it was amazing. I looked this stat up the other day. So, so f- I think for college basketball fans of a certain age, we have you know a very wide range of people that listen to this show. But you know, if you're under 25, I don't think you realize how good that Maryland was for a certain time. And so, I'm in my early 30s, and when when I was coming up, Maryland was one of those programs, kind of like. Um, you know, maybe what Kansas is right now, where you know they didn't they, they didn't make a run towards the national championship every year, but they were always in the short conversation, kind of like what K- Kentucky is right now, kind of like what Villanova is right now. I looked this up; I could not believe this stat. 
from 1994 until 2003, so basically a a 10-year period, they made the Sweet 16 Maryland seven times in 10 years. Seven times in 10 years. I don't think people realize how good Maryland was in the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s. It obviously capped with them winning a national championship in 2002. They also made the Final Four in 2001. And so again, this is a program with a lot of history, a lot of tradition, and where you should be able to have success. And so the fact that Mark Turgeon has been there now for nine years and he uh, has only been to one second weekend. And by the way, when they got to that second weekend, that was in 2016, they promptly get smoked by Kansas and get eliminated from the tournament. Um, You know, listen, I think it's fair to ask if Maryland is going to be a team that is going to be prepared to play in big games in March, going to execute in big games in March, and going to win in big games in March. And it's going to be be a a couple different things. It's going to be what we saw the other day at Nebraska, which is, are they going to just show up to play, or are they going to be a two seed that loses to a seven in the first round, in the second round? And when they get into those later games, are they going to be prepared? Are they going to execute like we saw against Michigan State? Because they executed great in the first half against Michigan State. They were also terrible in the second half against Michigan State. As I said, I, I watched that whole game. I know a lot of you guys did too. It was a fun Saturday of basketball. And you know, there was probably, I'm not kidding, a 12 or 13, I, I want to pause, I, wanna, I, I was going to gloss that over as if it wasn't a big deal and it was a huge deal, so I want to pause, take a break, and say this, because I want to make sure that you guys hear this, there was about a 13 minute stretch in that Maryland-Michigan State game that they did not get a good shot on the rim, they didn't get a good shot, like they put up shots, they were just low percentage or they were forced or they were late in the shot clock. And so I'm just telling you with Maryland, they are going to be a fascinating team to watch down the stretch because I do think that they are a team that as we come down the home stretch, when you're watching these Big Ten games on Saturdays and Sundays, when you're watching the Big Ten tournament, they are going to look so good. They are going to look so sexy. They're going to be so impossible not to just want to pencil in in your bracket as the season goes on or as the bracket goes on. But I'm just telling you, be careful with them. We saw the best and the worst of Maryland on Sunday, on Saturday. All right. I think that's about it for today. Um, I was going to hit on Maryland, uh, or excuse me, Memphis, UConn. But listen, I did the whole crush Penny Hardaway thing last week. And I'll give myself a little credit here. I'll give myself a little pat on the back here. Because what I always like to tell you is AT is the news cycle. Aaron Torres is the college basketball news cycle. I tell you the stuff that is going to happen before it actually happens. And that's exactly what happened. Because Memphis last week lost to South Florida. It was a game that nobody was really paying attention to. But I said point blank, Penny Hardaway, you cannot lose to South Florida at home. They were, I believe at the time, 10-12 and 12 coming into that game. I said, this team is in trouble. This team doesn't have it. There's something not right with this group. I've heard a lot of different things on what could be going on. Don't just blame James Wiseman. You can't even blame the DJ Jeffries injury because they're now 17-8 and eight overall. They've lost three straight, and they're basically terrible on the road. And so I told you this was coming. I told you it was in the process of happening, and it has now happened. I also want to give UConn a little bit of credit. I've been telling you for four or five months, give it time. Dan Hurley's going to figure it out. They are going to turn a corner. They're going to get back to looking like a UConn team, and I think we are there. They have now won three of their last four. They beat Cincinnati last weekend, which is a bubble team. They beat Memphis, which was a bubble team, right up until UConn beat them today, and UConn is phenomenal. They have a freshman, James Booknight. If that kid comes back for his sophomore year, and I think he will, but in this climate in college basketball, you just never know who's going to test, who's going to declare, who's going to want to leave after one year, all that stuff. Um, I think you could be talking about, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, an all-first-team Big East performer and a potential first-round draft pick, maybe even a lottery pick next season. Uh, UConn did receive some bad news. One of their star players, their other star freshman, a cook, a cook. He's a big man. Uh, He went down with what appeared to be an Achilles injury. As I'm recording on Sunday night, we have no official confirmation on what that is, but another great win for UConn. And I'm telling you, when I put together that way too early top 25 for the 2020-21 season, 
I really do believe that UConn is going to be a top 25 team. I believe that they're that good. I believe that they're trending in the right direction. Great win today. Again, also a little bit of a devastating injury. I'll keep you updated on that. But again, I just don't feel like it's necessary to go all in on Penny Hardaway when, to be perfectly honest, I already did it. All right, so I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. As I mentioned, Nick Coffey is going to join me right now. As promised, so many have been asking him. Uh, we end by doing the thing where we say that uh, you know we'll catch up and we're going to do this more. I don't know if we actually will just because schedules get busy. He's been traveling a lot with Louisville. But Nick Coffey's coming up to talk about Louisville, to talk about a little bit about Kentucky, and then we actually do wrap on Duke. And I, he had some really interesting thoughts on Duke, a team that obviously he covers very closely in the ACC. Uh, and I'll give Nick a ton of credit, man. You know, the reason from the beginning that I have loved having him on this show, that he used to be on this show basically every single episode, was very simply because he tells the truth. He tells it like it is. He isn't afraid. To sh- he, he won't sugarcoat it. He isn't afraid to criticize his own team. And I thought he said some very honest things about Louisville, where they are, and what is going on with that team. So that is all. Stick around for the end. I'll do a quick shout out of the day on the back end. But now... Let's transition to your boy, Nick Coffey, with your boy, A.T. All right, and joining me on the phone now, long overdue reunion. I, I say it all the time, uh, Nick Nick Coffey, 790KRD in Louisville. Last time you were on the show, first of all, we found out, uh, and I hate to say this, but it's true that you got your wife pregnant at Fantasy Camp, so uh, you were at Chris Mack Fantasy Camp. Yeah, pre- appreciate all the congratulations on the sex that I've been out here. <laughs> uh, I do still get, very regularly... The most recent, as a matter of fact, the most recent review on iTunes is, AT, I love you, but you need more Nick Coffee. So obviously with your schedule busy traveling this time of year. That was my, my mom. I told her to do that. Oh, okay. So shout out to uh, MW Drag, who, uh, who was the person. So I don't know why she's using that as a, a name, but uh, it does. Keep it, say, keep it on the low. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, it's a good pseudonym, but it says lo- the, the most recent review. Love the podcast. Just miss having a little back and forth with someone. We miss Nick. So Nick, you're back at least for one day. We will. I know we say this all the time, but we will try to have you on more regularly as your schedule allows and all that stuff. But first of all, how are you? How is life? What is new? Talk to us, Nick Coffey. I'm doing really well. In fact, uh, as you mentioned, did have sex with my wife, did get her pregnant, Congrats. and got our second kid on the way. We found out last week it was going to be a boy, uh, which is great. So I'm going to have one of each and then probably going to shut it down after that, but you never know. So with me, things have been really busy, and I've been making sure that I stay as busy as possible because I know once uh, baby number two gets here, well, I don't know, but I imagine I'm in for a, a much different schedule because life just changes. So I've been traveling. I've been following and covering this Louisville team. I've been in Atlanta, Miami, Boston, um, Pittsburgh. I've been all over the place. And uh, it's been a fun ride, staying busy, but uh, always happy to be back on the Aaron Tours Sports Podcast. I like how you t- you took the major cities that might actually be fun. All of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the, the Clemson trip and the uh, – the Raleigh trip, and I don't know what the other, uh, you know, far-flung outposts in the in the ACC are, but I like how you took all the good trips. Boston, Miami, Atlanta sound pretty fun to me. Well, it, it worked out perfect because one, I'm not as I'm not as eager to travel on the weekends because I do want to spend that time with family. It's a little bit of, you know, it's a little downtime. With all that said, I will admit I don't feel like I work for a living because I love what I do, and it's sure. corny, but it's true. Um, but it just worked out to where. You know, I have I have a price point I can hit for being, you know, travel covered and whatnot with my with my boss and my job, and it just happened to work out to where they played all those cities midweek. So it's you know, I'm I'm sure people who travel know this. It's a lot cheaper to travel during the week than it is on the weekend. So yeah, and, and I, I told Aaron this beforehand that it, it's it's great to go to these places I've never been before. I've never been to Pittsburgh. Never been to Boston. I've driven through Atlanta. Uh, never been in Miami either, so those are places that are also to visit and travel. But man, it's a reminder. We love college basketball more than most people because when I was in Miami, I don't even think they knew Miami had a basketball. Team. <laughs> and when I was at Boston College, I learned the hard way that like BU, which is Boston University and Harvard, they literally have a bigger following than Boston College as, as far as college programs. Not to mention the Patriots, the uh, the Bruins, the Celtics, uh, and, and all the other pro teams, the Red Sox. I mean, they. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a, you're right. I actually have, and it was it, it was kind of strategic, but it just happened to work out to where if we're talking about destinations in the Atlantic Coast Conference, I think that shows the right one. 
Fantastic. So, okay, so I do the, – the timing of this works out well. We were texting a little bit after the, the Louisville loss to Georgia Tech the other day. Uh, and to, to bring you on independent of what happened with Louisville over the weekend. But I think that now is a good as good a time as any. Louisville, as of a week ago, had we recorded this a week ago, they would have been tied for first place or I guess one game ahead for first place in the ACC with Duke. Uh, they've lost two in a row. And so, listen, um, the, the Torres versus Louisville fan base uh, rivalry has been well documented on this show. I was, I don't think, critical of the team, but I just wasn't as excited about them after a sloppy loss against uh, a sloppy win against Michigan, and then the Texas Tech stuff, and then of course Kentucky and Florida State, and we find out that all the teams that Louisville's lost to is are of course pretty good. But even during this this recent Louisville win streak, and I think they won what seven or eight in a row prior to this past week, ten in a row, ten in a row. Okay, there you go. I just wasn't quite as sold on Louisville as as they were deserving of being an ACC contender. They were deserving of the seeding that they got in the early seeding uh, portion of whatever. But I, I just didn't – they just didn't have that oomph that I feel when I watch uh, Gonzaga or Baylor or Kansas or somebody like that. So there are now two losses. It, it'd be easy for me to come down and say, I told you so. There were, But, you know, credit where it's due, as you said, 10 straight wins. When you go in to do your show on Monday morning, what is the conversation going to be about Louisville? Oh man! Uh, so, in fact, I'm glad you asked that specific question because that's something I've been, that's what I do. I ponder for you know, however long I have before, um, you know. For example, when they lost to Georgia Tech, I made the half mile walk from my hotel to the Waffle House, thinking, "Okay, how am I going to get this show started uh, tomorrow?" And with the Clemson game specifically, uh, it will kind of be similar to to, uh, to what we've been saying for a while, and that is that. This team just at times, they're so underwhelming. And I know you probably don't think that they have the ceiling that I do, and that's fine. You know, maybe if I'm, if anybody would be more biased than me when it comes to that conversation. But even during the 10-game winning streak, they had really, really unimpressive halves, unimpressive stretches. And I, and I think what I've chalked it up to is they don't know how to handle success mm-hmm. um, because they've never had it. This group is not made of of teams that have, that have had the Louisville run of, you know, Louisville from 2000 and, uh, 2012 to 2015, 16, that was a team that had made deep runs in the tournament every year. Even if you're not playing, you're on that team, you know what comes with it. A lot of these guys never, they actually, every one of the, oh, the only person on this team that was on the team the last time this program won a tournament game is Ryan McMahon and he didn't play in that wow. game. So I just think these guys have, have, are still kind of learning how to be a really good team and, I think when they turn it on and they play with their life on the line, they can be really, really good. But I also know that they've had too many stretches throughout. Again, even in the 10-game winning streak, it's hard to knock them when they won 10 in a row. But they just at times aren't bringing the same energy and toughness. And toughness is a word, when I hear it, I always just think of physical toughness, like pushing somebody around. Mac talks toughness all the time, and he's not talking physically. He's talking mental. And these guys just... You know, I think they play to the level of their competition, and there's no no better example than the Duke game. So when you think playing to the level of competition, I think most people think, well, they play down. Kentucky's a team like that. They do that. There's no investment. Yep. Sometimes who you are, but Louisville does it as well. But when they play Duke, they play their best game of the season. For sure. They follow that up with a loss or a close win against Georgia Tech at home. They could have easily lost. And those are the two best examples, but they just don't bring that. And Wake Forest had him down 15. Danny Manning's terrible coach. He had Louisville <laughs> down 15 at home. And Louisville played as if their life was on the line. And I still think that's the best half of basketball they've played. It's not as meaningful as what they did in the first half against Duke, but I was there. I watched it with my own eyes. That team played with an energy, with an execution, with a focus that, that I could get them to Atlanta. But right now, um, they're really struggling. And in fact, the Clemson game is better because I think this this team, for the most part, for the most part, has bounced back well. They have a lot of veterans to where they they certainly you know that they, they they kind of learn from their mistakes the hard way. And they came out against Clemson. Jordan Ward didn't get the start, and they once again dug themselves a big hole so deep that this one uh, one it took them way too long to try to climb out of it. And by the time they did, the hole was too deep. So this team, it, I'll say this. I'll leave you with this, Aaron, before you kind of take over here. Had they not beaten Duke the way they did in that game yep. at Duke. I would be sitting here saying, I have no clue if they're any good at all. And I still can't ignore that Duke game. But then again, I'm also a realist to know that's just one game. You can't act as if that means that's the team you're going to get because in the 25 games they've played, 
they are, uh, you know, they, they get, they've shown more, more of the vulnerable team than they have a team that looks like they're scary good. And one more little stat that they're out there. Going into the Georgia Tech game, they were the number four three-point shooting team in the country. And they weren't shooting, so of the 353 Division One teams, they weren't shooting as many as 200 other teams. So it's not as if they're necessarily living by living and dying by it. They were just making a lot of them in these last two games. They're not knocking down shots, and we now are able to see what they look like when they're not utilizing the three-point line, and they're very, very beatable. Now, I keep saying, hey, I'm going to be finished talking about that. One thing that is now needs to be addressed with this team is that I'm done with the, you know, you know pardon my French, but cut the shit, Chris Mack. And I would tell him this to his face, probably not in those words because I'm kind of a chicken shit myself, but David Johnson needs to be playing 30 minutes a game. Wow. Bringing him off the bench, yanking him out after a turnover, We've seen enough of the other guards to know that, yes, he's going to make mistakes, but he is a playmaker. You and I had a conversation when I was in Pittsburgh. I was sitting at a college bar feeling like an old man um, because I was trying to get a late ID. And you, you told me, hey, Max got to play the young guy. You, you saw Sammy Williamson before he got to Louisville. He's good enough to get a lot of minutes. And he, he's him not doing that is now actually costing his team, whereas early on they were still able to win. So in his mind, I'm thinking, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But now... There's just no need for those two guys not to get the bulk of the minutes at their position well, because they clearly have more upside and they make more things happen. So I don't know I'm long-winded there, but that is where I stand on this goal. It's amazing because this was literally my um, analysis of this team back in January. And, um, you know, and listen, and it's funny because obviously you haven't done a ton of these shows and, you know, I don't know how much you know about what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about, but, you know, you, you know, I'm always hesitant to, to criticize college kids and, you know, I'm not here to, you know, crush a kid that's, that's an unpaid amateur and all that stuff. But what I said at the time was there's a couple guys that are juniors and seniors they're just not good enough to be on the court against these elite teams. Now, listen, they were coming off a stretch at the time where they had just played Kentucky, they had just played Florida State, which are probably two of the top 15 to 20 teams by any tangible measurement in the country. But it, it, it was so obvious to me that there's just some guys that probably aren't good enough to play at this level. And by the way, that's okay. It happens. Some of these guys were under-recruited. Some of these guys came in during kind of this weird transition where you had three head coaches in three years. Like, I get that this stuff happened, but this was exactly what I said. Um, and, and this is probably my concern with Louisville, just in the bigger picture, is one, um, I don't know, uh, like you said, it might be a little bit too late. But two is like, you know, I, I just watch them and they just, I hate to say it, dude, but I'm going to say it. They're just so unimpressive offensively. And, and what I always come back to, and it's something you and I through the years have discussed on this show and on your show, uh, is that in the tournament, you got to be able to win games in more than one way. And I remember vividly go, coming on when we had just started this show after Virginia lost to a 16 seed in 2018 and saying like, Dude, Virginia, you can only win one way, and eventually that's going to cost you. Now, that year it cost them at that point, but uh, you know they, they evolved last year. They win the national championship, but I'm only bringing it up because that is kind of the pit of my stomach feel about Louisville is, yeah, if you're playing Butler or you're playing somebody where everybody wants to play in the 50s and you can grind it out, that's fine, but if you're playing... I don't know, Gonzaga, which would, wouldn't be till an Elite Eight or a Sweet 16, whatever. But somebody like that, um, I just don't know that you have the firepower. And again, it comes down to, uh, like you said a minute ago, is maybe it's as simple as like you had to get the freshmen the reps in, in December and January. And I, and I know I bring this point up a lot, but you know, you can criticize John Calipari for a lot of things, but the one thing I respect about him is he schedules the way that he does so that he can throw his freshmen into the fire and they can make their mistakes in November and December. And I always go back to this point. Tyler Hero, I vividly remember, was unplayable in November and December last year. Wasn't making shots, getting killed on defense. And every, not every Kentucky fan, but the Kentucky fans wanted him benched. They wanted him not part of what he was doing. And by March, he was ready to rock and roll. And so I don't know where you want to take it from there, but it just it still comes back down to the same thing with me with Louisville is they're just not very dynamic offensively, and I just think well, they're one matchup away from losing in the first weekend. You have you've hit the nail on the head that I've been insinuating throughout, even during the losing streak. And to be fair, Louisville is a team like even though they've had a couple of bad shooting games, they still 
for 22 of the 25 games, they were shooting above 40% from three, top five in the country, best three-point shooting team percentage-wise among the Power Six conferences in college basketball. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it's the Power Five that you have in football and you put the Big East in there. So their identity still remains. More often than not, they're going to be a good three-point shooting team. But what that has done is that has, at times, hidden the fact that they are so broken offensively. Yeah. And the only person that can really, they have one playmaker on this team, one guy who mm-hmm. makes plays for everybody, and that's David Johnson. And at times, him being a freshman, sometimes, and Chris Mack said this the other day, that David refuses to kind of just stand down. He's always going to try to make a play, which at times can lead to him turning it over. But they're broken offensively, and the three-point line has been able to really hide that. And that's kind of why, for me, it's I, I'm with you. And I don't know if you know this or not, Aaron. I think you do, but Louisville plays the pack line defense. You know who else plays, who else plays the pack line defense? Virginia. And what, what happens is, one, you end up doing yourself a disservice if a team goes on a, on a run because your style of play is going to lead to you not being able to, to quickly erase it. Yep. Louisville, what happened, though, is they were such a great shooting team, which, by the way, they were shooting 47% from three in ACC play before the Georgia Tech game. Wow. They were the best three-point shooting team in the ACC since the Duke team in the early 90s in 91. It, it, that, that's how phenomenal they were shooting the ball. And that matters. That, that's a factor. But I think what's happened is when, when you don't have, like, because if, they, if they got down big against bad teams like Georgia Tech, like Boston, or not Boston, guys like Wake Forest, uh, there have been plenty of other games where they've had to come out of the hole. It's not their style of play that's doing it. They just can't hop from three. Well, when they're not hopping three and they get down 10, they might as well be down 18. And that's what really concerns me is that they'll, even you know, to give those listening, you know, when it comes, I know you don't watch every Louisville game, but you probably watch the Louisville game regardless of what fan you are. In the second half, Louisville did end up making a run and erasing the deficit and getting into overtime. But I remember specifically, they got like six to seven consecutive stops on defense. And they couldn't turn it into any points because of the way they play. They don't run. They're not fast. And some of these guys that are on this roster were were, were brought here by Rick Pitino to play a certain style. Darius Perry is not compatible with what Chris Mack wants to do offensively. He just is. David Johnson, you know, if you're not letting that guy run and make plays, you're not getting the most out of him. So I think your overall assessment of Louisville has been correct as far as just how underwhelming they are on offense. But I think at times they get hot from three. And it's not just at times. They're a great shooting team other than these last two games. But if you get in the tournament and not have a good shooting night, like you did against Clemson, like you did against Georgia Tech. And what I've been telling my listeners is, if you think those teams can give Louisville problems, whoever Louisville meets in the round of 30, if they were to get there, are going to be way better than the two teams that just beat you. No, that's 100% accurate. And that's why I, 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 from my perspective, Think of them as, even though they could be a two seed, maybe a three seed, probably trending more towards a three after this past week, Like I, I just think they're the wrong matchup away from being done on the first weekend. I mean, I know you said uh, you know, there's no one that's going to be more biased than you, and we get it. You host a three-hour radio show in Louisville. You grew up a Cards fan, and I respect that. We all have our allegiances. Realistically, listen, this was a team that I thought could make the Final Four in the preseason. I think it's a team that you had very high expectations for. What are realistic expectations at this point? Because I do think that when we get to this time of year, we get tripped up by resumes and quad one wins and this seed line and that seed line. And I, like, I'm not saying it to be critical. I'm not saying it because I have some secret undercover bias against Louisville. This just doesn't feel like a team to me that when I watch in, in what is supposedly a down year in college basketball, you know, Kansas has been really consistent. Uh, Gonzaga has been really consistent. Baylor has been really consistent. Um, Seton Hall can get hot. Uh, I, I just I don't see it. It doesn't mean that with the right matchups they can't make a run. But I also think that just because they're a two-seed or a three-seed, everyone thinks, oh, that means they can win the national championship. And I don't know if I necessarily believe that either. We had a caller on my show Friday. This was actually before the loss to uh, to Clemson, which, of course, that one, the way it happened, actually. The Georgia Tech game, they lost that one in first place in the ACC. That just goes to show you how much cushion they've created. They've had a great run. Uh, now, of course, things are different because it's now a, I think it's uh yeah, Duke is now ahead, which is too lossful and now has three. But the caller said, I can't get that excited about March Madness because Louisville's going to re- get a really good seed. But yet I know that if they don't show up the way they should, they could lose to anybody. And that's and that, that, that to me, just it's one of those things that is somewhat of a rare, rather obvious observation, but it's true. And that's because most Louisville fans 
know this team. In matchups are always important. Always. Louisville's going to play teams that maybe aren't as good as another, but they may just give them more problems. But to me, for Louisville, it's not about matchups. It's about, again, it matters, but for me, it's just how they play because they didn't have a matchup problem against Georgia Tech necessarily. They certainly didn't have a matchup problem against Clemson. They played them two or three weeks prior, and maybe that was their most dominant ACC win where they never, it was never in doubt. So, look, when you have inconsistent play here and there, or you, you know, in, in Kentucky, this may be a great way to kind of transition to them. They struggled with an Ole Miss team that's average at best. And when you get to mid-February, that's not a random blip. That's who you are. You've established an identity. And Louisville has established the identity that either they're going to bring it or they're not. Now, one thing that leads me to believe, Aaron, that that, uh, that they will make a run is because when they play their teams, they normally come ready to play. They didn't lose to Kentucky because they're ready to play. They just lost to Kentucky at Rupp. Kentucky's a good team. In overtime. Kentucky has way better guards. But for me, <laughs> I think they would, you know, I don't know what would happen, but I'm not, I wouldn't be that worried about how they play in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 against another 3 or another 4 seed or whoever it may be. But I'm worried to death they're going to get beat in the first two rounds just because that's, again, when you're in mid-February, late February, you have an identity. It's not random. That's who you are. You've, you've had enough data out there, enough games to where – you are who you are, and Louisville is a team that simply plays to the level of their competition. They look really good at times, but they also look like a team where you scratch your head and say, how is this team ranked in the top ten? Well, yeah, and I'm looking right now at some of the potential, you know, the most recent bracketology, which was Friday, had them on the two line, but you're looking at a potential second-round matchup with some teams that I think they would uh, match up well with, Houston, Florida as a, as a ten seed, but then there's other ones, LSU, uh, Illinois, USC, I think could actually give them a little bit of trouble. So it'll be interesting. You did mention Kentucky. I do want to transition to them. We actually only have a limited amount of time today. Um, and you mentioned being who you are. And so I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, I probably talk more Kentucky on this show than any other sport. That's where the, the you know, a, a, percent, a large percentage of our listeners are. They want my opinion on Kentucky. I'll tell you this, man. I love watching them when they're locked in at Texas Tech, at Arkansas, at Auburn, even though they lost that wild game with all those with the terrible officiating. I'm getting kind of sick of watching them against Ole Miss, against Vandy, where they just don't show up to play. Um, and they're another one where they've proven. They beat Michigan State on a neutral. They beat Louisville at home. They beat um, Texas Tech on the road. They can beat anybody in college basketball, but I got to start seeing, we are now past Valentine's Day. We are past the midway point in February. I got to start seeing this team show up to play the bad teams on their schedule. Now, they get LSU on Tuesday. They will be locked in for that one. I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted LSU. But I got to see it against the old misses, against the Vandys, Texas A&M coming up, teams like that. I just haven't seen it. And, and, and as somebody who watches all these games for a living, like it's 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 a little bit frustrating to just watch this team not show up on certain nights. Yeah, Kentucky. First of all, all the things I thought could, well, not all the things. This is this is not an I told you so moment. But when we talked about Kentucky's expected dominance this year, they were preseason number two in the country. I just thought it was laughable that EJ Montgomery returning was a huge part of that. EJ Montgomery has been the same player that he was last year. He's just not a huge impact guy. But what's been different is Nick Richards plays like one of the best bigs in the country, mm -hmm. and that's really helped them. But Kentucky, to me, I think the point is that Emmanuel quickly has made substantial improvement. He's been really good. Really, In fact, I think you could argue he might be the best player. But where I'm going here is that what I said about Kentucky before the season started is this is the least overwhelming team talent-wise that Calipari's had in my opinion. I still believe that. But more than, more than anything, what people don't hear when I say that is that that actually speaks more to how good his game teams have been sure. every year. This team is still good. They still have talent. They're not talentless. But I feel like in a weird way, this could be the year they actually cut down next. They could also lose in the first first round. But I just feel like it, 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 if this was in the year where college basketball had a top tier that was, in fact, you know, really scary, and maybe they, maybe, maybe, maybe the top tier teams are in fact legit, and we'll find out once we get to the tournament. But the name brand obviously matters. Kentucky fans would tell you straight up, Aaron, they're not scared of San Diego State. They're not scared of Gonzaga. They're not scared of Kansas, and maybe they should be. Um, but this is a year where Kentucky, had it been any other year, I really think their fans would be more upset about where things have gone because they've had bad losses. They lost to Evansville. Do you know the 
So that, that that's going to be a quad four loss. Yep. Last year, do you know what the highest seeded team was that had a quad four loss? All I can it was tell you, Cincinnati, and they were a seven seed. Wow. So Kentucky's going to break a record this year because they're going to have that bad loss. But the Utah loss is still a bad one. The loss to South Carolina is not a not even in the same ballpark as those two. But South Carolina clearly is a team that's not going to make the tournament unless something changes. Uh, but yet they have those big wins that you mentioned. So I feel like Kentucky fans, from what I can understand, are kind of embracing the, hey, you know what, yeah, we can lose to a lot of teams if we don't play well, but you know what, we can also go on a run and beat anybody, and I believe that. So um, I, I, this Kentucky team, though, when they showed up against Ole Miss and let that game linger, and honestly, there was a good – late in that game, that rough, there was kind of a feeling that they might not be able to win it, and they did. Credit to them. They found a way to win a close game. Um, but – they, again, go back to with Louisville. When you get to past the midway point of this month of February, it's hard to just assume that they're no longer going to have those games where they just kind of don't have it. And when they don't have it, you know, there have been, there have been Kentucky teams that John Calipari had that were loaded to where if they played terrible, yep. they're still winning. Sure. And that's not this team. No, it's not. But it is kind of a fascinating point. And I think, by the way, it does kind of speak to like, a narrative that always comes up that we, not you and I, but just people that cover college basketball always discuss, but like you could actually make the case. This is one of John Calipari's best coaching jobs. Um, you know, I I would, I would agree with that. I wouldn't say it on my show necessarily. I wouldn't (laughs) go out of my way to make it a point, but I I would agree because, um, in a way I feel like he, you know, Nick Richards saw how badly Cal wanted, uh, Terry Blackshear. So maybe that's why he really kicked it in gear. And that's been a huge part of their season. I think Richards didn't make substantial improvement. I don't even know where this team would be. But you're right. He has done a good job with this group. Uh, quickly has come a long way. And, and yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's a fair statement because there's no talent level on this team like the others that he's had. And yet their team, that when they play well, they win. Yeah, it's funny because you look at the roster, and I, I could be mistaken on this. I don't believe Keon Brooks was a McDonald's All-American. So you start from a place where, and maybe he was, but you start from a place where you basically have two McDonald's All-Americans. One quits the team halfway through the season. The other one, Tyrese Maxey. Listen, I like Tyrese Maxey. I don't get the love. Like, I saw... You know, my but- I don't understand how he's a lottery pick. I don't get it. Yeah, I my, my buddy Sam Vecini had him, I think, fourth or fifth in his most recent mock draft, and I just don't get it. I think he's good. I'm sorry, that's, that's laughable. Dude, this, this, even in a week's draft, that's laughable in my opinion. So you and this isn't the time or the place. And again, we don't crush Kentucky. You know, we don't crush. Excuse me, we don't crush college kids for the sake of it. I think you can make a case if we really went through the top ten guards of the Cal freshman guards of the Calipari era. I don't even know if he'd be in the top ten when you factor in Jamal Murray, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, not to mention John Wall, etc. We'll save that for another day. But the point is, is that. I do think this is one of Cal Perry's better coaching jobs for the reason you said. Nick Richards, massive improvement. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, massive improvement. I know Ashton Hagens is struggling, but I like the leadership qualities that he's shown. I feel like he's matured even if on the court there's stuff to be desired. So I actually think it's been one of his better coaching jobs. I do think it's really interesting the point that you did bring up, though, about where the fan base is at. And I, I tend to agree is that um, – you know, I think that 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 they know that they're in the mix, and and I get it. Like all you want to do is is be in the mix and have a shot. I do think this is the year for them. Uh, after the LSU game, I'll probably do a deeper dive on Kentucky because I haven't. Tuesday. That is Tuesday. Yes, I um, I haven't talked about them in a while, but I only got you about ten more minutes. So, uh, want anything else on Kentucky? And then I just want to want to know what as somebody who watches as much college hoops as I do, you cover it every day. Uh, I just want to know what you're excited about at this time of year because whether it's Michigan State, Maryland the other day, which I thought was maybe the most important storyline out of the weekend. Uh, if it's, dude, if you want to do your San Diego State Gonzaga take, you can. I'm going to open the floor to you. I've done my my San Diego State take. I've done my Gonzaga take. Whatever you want. Uh, but first, anything else on Kentucky? I just think that there wasn't a ton to take away from the old Miss game. But I think that this time of year, I understand that nobody's going to be perfect every single night out, except for Baylor, who's a freaking juggernaut and nobody talks about him. But um, this time of year, you're going to have ebbs, you're going to have flows. It's a time of year where you're just not going to show up on certain nights. But this is now a season-long trend dating back to Louisville through two Vanderbilt games, um, you know, the, the Ole Miss game, where it's just getting to the point where it's like, 
dude, you're going to have to play a 14 seed at some point, and you better show up to play. You better be ready to go in the first round of the SEC tournament because if you lose, that could impact your seed for the NCAA tournament, and I just haven't seen that yet. There's still time, but that's frustrating with me. Anything else you got? You know, with Kentucky, I would just say that they're in that group with a lot of teams that anybody – look, there are a lot of – every year there are teams that feel like they can make a run to the Final Four. And, in fact, there have been some random Final Four trips. Louisville's trip in 2012 was not predicted at all. They weren't a very good team before the tournament started. But there aren't random title winners. They're not. Even when UConn won two of theirs and they didn't look like the prime favorite to win it, they it's the best still player. freaking UConn. Well, they had the best player. Every other pro- well, real quick, I don't mean to cut you off, but this was a point I made. You know, I did this this poll. If if you could take San Diego State, Dayton, and Gonzaga or the field, who would you take? And everyone said it was the stupidest poll they ever heard. And, like, part of me gets it. Like, you always take the field. But my, my argument, my counterpoint would be, and I looked up these numbers, of the last 13 national champions – 10 of them were number one seeds. Two of them were UConn teams that had the best player in the tournament, Shabazz Napier and Kemba Walker. And the only other one was Villanova's first national title where they beat three number one seeds to win the national championship. So in essence, they were a number one seed. They were just on the wrong seed line. And so I only bring that up because the Baylor San Diego or the San Diego State Gonzaga stuff was basically me saying you get two, you get these two number one seeds or those two number one seeds because history tells us a one seed is going to win the national championship. So I only bring that up to say that your 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 stat is something I just or your your fact was something that I just talked about on this show last episode. In that you're exactly right. When people say it's so wide open, if you want to talk about forty or fifty teams that can make a Final Four, okay. If Loyola Chicago made one a few years ago, I can't argue with that. But the teams Wichita that went, State. Wichita State. George Mason beat my UConn Huskies. Like that, that is factually correct. That that can be true. But when you get to this time of year, I don't think there's more than 10, 11, 12 teams that can win it all. I do think Kentucky, by the way, is one of those teams. But um, it, it's it's exactly what you said. It's there's never there really has been not maybe in our lifetime or nothing in the recent memory such thing as a a, a surprise national champion, if you will. And that's one thing that people ignore. In fact, I know a lot of Kentucky fans, and, and this is, I mean, I hope I don't make anybody angry by saying this, but the whole not, the whole thought that Calipari can't coach because he has one title is very silly and stupid, and you really don't even hear many people say that anymore. But the, the, the instant defense is, well, I mean, what are you going to do? The NCAA tournament is random. And yes, it is, but titles are not random. They're not. And I went back and looked at it. Florida winning their first title back in 2000, and I think it's 2006. Six. That's 13 I mean, that, years. That, was, that wasn't random, but I mean, that was the first title winner that had won it for the first time since Virginia just did it. And yes, they wow. lost to a 16th seed the year before, but Tony Bennett had a five-year run where he was the best program in the ACC. Interesting. So I just think that with, with you know a lot of people just claiming that, well, you know, it's going to be wide open. No, you ain't seen wide open until you've seen this year. That's, that's just what we're looking at. The round of 32 is going to be insanely impressive i still think there are teams that when they are playing at their high level for example last monday i watched two games i watched florida state and duke and then i watched uh baylor and i don't even know who baylor played texas Texas. was awful and i'm thinking okay people keep telling me there's no good teams i just watched three good teams duke's really good florida state can be really good and i think they are pretty they are really good baylor's really good like they're not no team has been looked at as this dominant juggernaut with a bunch of NBA future superstars, but there are good teams out there. There are. I mean, if you pay attention, again, I watched San Diego State and Gonzaga here and there. I think both are really good and deserving to be where they are, but Jeff Goodman was on my show a couple weeks ago, and he made a good point that Gonzaga may be the best example of a team that says what this year of college basketball looks like because they're good compared to everybody else. They're up there. They can make a run, but this isn't even close to one of Mark Hughes' best teams. I mean, you could argue, and I think you've actually pointed this out, Aaron, that he's he's having to replace a ton from a year ago, and he's doing way better than anybody would have expected. So it, as much as I get annoyed about how wide open it is, I understand that it looks that way. I think the round of 32, as mentioned, is going to be insanely impressive. But I still think Duke is a team, and maybe it's just me wanting to believe this, because deep down I know Louisville looks better the better they look, meaning Duke, because that's their only good win they have right now. But when Duke plays well, I think they're the best team in the country. I do. Dude, I mean, see, okay, let, let's, I, I have time to ask you one last question. I really haven't okay. done a Duke deep dive in, in quite some time. I will tell you this. I don't know if I think they're the best team, but the more that I watch them, um, first of all, you know, 
you can crap on Coach K. I did not think Vernon Carey was going to be this good. I did not think Cassius uh, Stanley was going to be this good. But also, all those kind of wings, and let's be honest, they're all a bunch of white guys. Joey Baker, Matt Hurt, Alex O'Connell. Like, those guys are slowly, like, they're starting to contribute. Like, between those three guys. How dare you leave Jack White off. Jack White, my bad. I feel terrible. Uh <laughs> Between those like four guys, you're now starting to have a situation where you're getting like between like 18 and 25 points a game from those guys, and all of a sudden, like I'm looking at that team where they don't have the star power of last year. They're not as good as last year, um, but as a team, as a group, I kind of think they're they're starting to gel a little bit. Where I'm sitting there saying like. I know the ACC's down. I know we're not paying as close attention. Now, the counter would be they should have lost at UNC. But I don't know, man. I look at that team, and I'm like, I haven't really talked about them, but they're probably a little bit better than we're giving them credit for, which is weird to say because it's Duke. But I do feel like they're sort of flying under the radar. Do you want to do Coach K hot take? Go ahead. Go. These teams are the ones that Krzyzewski shows off how phenomenal of a coach he is, okay. makes his best runs. Because that's he's not he he needed to and he did it and they have a title to show for him so maybe this sounds foolish but he is not compatible he's not at his best when he does the one and done formula he just isn't you could have some luck go your way and just win on talent alone but he got upset in the first round by Mercer with Jabari Parker he got upset in the second round uh, with with uh, Jason Tatum I am against South Carolina Mike Shishetsky's best teams. Race should not be a factor, but it was a bunch of white dudes with the with the with the pieces around that are exceptionally talented, like A. Vernon Carey, who maybe one of the best freshmen in recent years that nobody seems to really talk a whole lot about. He has been phenomenal this year for them. Mm-hmm. And Stanley does exactly what he's needed to be. Trey Jones is kind of one of those dookie point guards that has stuck around longer than a year and doesn't overwhelm you with anything specifically, but he's just a gamer. I mean, look at what he did against Carolina. I think this is a year where Right now, you told me who the title winner is. It's Duke. Now, they looked unimpressive and underwhelming at times, like a lot of other teams. But that's my hot take on Duke is that Coach K is not as good as other coaches. I mean, really, there are only two that have done it at that level. Calipari's better at it. He does because, like you said earlier, he'll eat a couple losses if he has to because he knows that the top talent will play better and be in prime form once you get to the postseason. This, this Duke team doesn't overwhelm you, but they also have those guys that – can win you titles, and it sounds crazy to think Alex O'Connell and Matt Hurt are like guys that can win you a national championship, but their roles and the way they play with the complement of talent they have around them, like I, I think Duke's one team right now, if you ask me, and Louisville beat them at Duke, so it's not, it's not as if I think they're unbeatable, but if you ask me one team I don't want to see, and there are others that I would prefer not to see as well, but if I had to pick one, I would say I don't want to play Duke because I know that if they play to their potential and they play up, I do think they're better than anybody. But again, like a lot of other teams, they have given us evidence that they're beatable as well. So it's really funny because I actually, dude, it's so amazing that you and I haven't done these shows and we're basically in alignment. Like I said after the Carolina game, and a lot of people got mad, like they 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 just barely beat a 10-12 and 12 Carolina team. How are you giving Coach K credit? And it's like, dude, you can crap on Coach K for a lot of things, but one, he's getting the most out of this roster, there's no doubt. Two, it's what I said a minute ago. I, I live in L.A. I've been seeing Cassius Stanley around all these little high school events for three years, and all that guy ever was was a guy that could dunk in the open court. He didn't defend. He couldn't handle the ball. He couldn't make plays for others. He couldn't shoot threes. All of a sudden, he's doing a lot of that at Duke. But also, even if you just go to that Carolina game, the number of things that Duke did right down the stretch was phenomenal. I said it on the show. They're down six with a minute to go. They're the only team in the country that rather than taking 22 seconds off the clock and jacking up bad three-pointers, they're they're driving towards the rim and getting uncontested layups because Carolina doesn't want to foul, so they cut the lead. Uh, uh, Trey Jones perfectly executes that that missed uh, foul shot, and he says after, yeah, I practice this all the time, and it's like, dude... I know we want to crush Coach K. I know he's annoying. I know that whole thing with the student section with Jeff Capel was really weird. He's a weird guy. I get it. I get why people want to crush him. But like he like like we got to give him some credit here too, man. Like that team, and I know the ACC is bad, but like they also did Duke also did beat Kansas earlier in the season. They did win by 20 at Michigan State. Like we got to give this guy a little bit of credit too if if we're going to crush him when he loses with Zion and RJ and all that. We got to give him a little bit of credit in a year like this. No, and and with 
the, the, what they did at Carolina in a way, because Carolina, I don't like, I, I keep screaming this and watch Louisville lose next week to Carolina, but I don't know if people realize how bad Carolina They're is. So They're bad. worse with Cole Anthony. Maybe that's the hottest take you've ever heard. They were playing better basketball before he came back. And yes, he's more talented. He can do more than anybody else on that team, but he also is a ball topper, and he doesn't make any of his teammates better. They were playing better basketball right before he came back, and now they're terrible once again. Like, I don't know if people realize just how bad Carolina is this year, but when it comes to Krzyzewski, that that team, the way they did it, that's a team with championship mentality. Go back to the 2015 Kentucky team, and you know they actually lost, and that's why Calipari, that's why Krzyzewski can claim that he got the title with basically mostly one-and-done players. But that Kentucky team... How many games did they have? At least four in the last two months of the season that they had no business winning. But you know what? They knew how good they were. That's what that just reminded me of. I think of the Notre Dame game in the lead eight with that Kentucky team in 2018 when Notre Dame played about out of their mind and it looked like it was going to go against them. But they made all things necessary. They never they never wavered. And that's what that Duke team, and again, it sounds so stupid to say because you're right, they did it against the bad Carolina team that deserves more blame than, than maybe Duke does credit. But still, like I thought, that team, man, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna mess around and win the whole thing. That that was my immediate reaction, which um, again, a lot of people didn't agree with my reaction as well. All right, very good. Uh, I'm going to wrap the show solo. Uh, Nick Coffey, 790KRD in Louisville. Both he and I have to run. It's about it's Sunday afternoon, midday. He's got family commitments. I got commitments myself. Uh, Nick, I know we say this all the time, and we probably won't speak again until May. But, uh, dude, no, it, it's, this, this is the time of year where we have to. I mean, we got to oh, keep it. We got to keep it rolling. Make me a regular if you have to. Listen, I'm not. I'm not the one with baby number two on the way. Going to fantasy camps, <laughs> coming back with, uh, you know, baby, you know, uh, whatever. You, the the listener can but, fill in the blank here. So, but but, I, but what did I say? I'm trying to keep myself as busy as possible because I know. I'm going to be busy with dad duties in a major way come later. So do not hesitate to shoot me a text, give me a call, and we'll make it happen. I'm also, this, is the best time. This, is, this is where coffee and Torres shine this time of the year. true. I will also say I'm not the one jet-setting all over ACC country to, to catch all these big <laughs> – the big Louisville-Boston college game that America's talking about. All right, Nick Coffey, 790KRD in Louisville. Listen to him, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Follow him on Twitter, at the Card Connect. And, Nick, we will do it again soon. It was so great catching up. Honestly, it was. Enjoyed it, my man. Let's do it again soon. All right, so a big thank you to uh, my main man, Nick Coffey. And listen, I know we did the stepbrothers, best friends. Yeah, no, we'll see each other, man. And, like, I don't know when Nick Coffey's going to be able to join me again. He's a very busy guy. As he said, baby number two's coming on the way. He obviously is traveling a lot with Louisville for work. But, but obviously, hopefully, we get him on a few more times before the start of March Madness because he is great. And it, you guys are right. It is good sometimes to have somebody else to bounce ideas off of, bounce things off of. I love doing this show. Sometimes doing the show solo is great, but it's always good to have somebody else to kind of just chat with and talk ball with, and so I appreciate Nick Coffey. Really quick, I do want to wrap on shout-out of the day, and shout-out of the day is a little bit different today, and why is that? It is because I'm not shouting out a specific person. I'm instead shouting out a concept, and that concept Shout out to $3 million coaches, coaches that make $3 million a year. And you might be thinking, AT, that's kind of weird. That doesn't really make sense. Explain yourself. $3 million a year coaches. Okay, well, it really stems from a tweet that I sent out in the middle of the day on Saturday in which we saw two coaches that make roughly the same amount of money, $3 million a year. One makes a little more. One makes a little less than him, but still over the $3 million threshold. And we saw what a real $3 million coach looks like and what a guy who is a fraud who is stealing money from his school looks like. And that was Texas A&M's win over the University of Georgia on Saturday. So first of all, shout out to Buzz Williams, because I think Buzz Williams has completely overachieved in year one at Texas A&M. This was a team that finished 13th in the SEC last year. They fired Billy Kennedy, and Buzz Williams did not, not only did he not inherit very much talent, he had to throw off one of his best players early in the season, TJ Starks, who's now at Cal State Northridge, not far from where I live. So he had to, he didn't get much, and then he had to throw off one of his best players, and yet he has his team 6-6 six and six in the SEC, 12-12 and 12 overall, uh, with some really good wins. They won at Tennessee against the, the Volunteers. Um, you know, they beat Ole Miss, who's playing tough. They beat, uh, they won at Missouri. So... I give them a ton of credit because Buzz Williams has his guys playing so hard. They win all the games 
all the games that are 50-50 that could go either way, they win them. And I'm not saying that they're going to, you know, finish in third place in the like every t every team is not always going to compete for a conference championship or a national championship. It doesn't mean that a team can't overachieve though. And I think Texas A&M is totally overachieving at 12 and 12 and 6 and 6 overall. On the opposite spectrum, there is the team that is now uh, in 13th place in the SEC, and that is Tom Crean, who essentially makes the same salary as Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams makes, I looked it up, I think Buzz Williams makes like 3-8, Tom Crean makes 3-2. Don't know if you saw, but I'm telling you, so you didn't have to see. They lost at Texas A&M, maybe the least talented team in the SEC, and they are now 12-13 overall, 2-10 in the SEC. And I know I already did the whole crush Tom Crean thing two weeks ago, but I think it's worth revisiting now. Because I just told you, Buzz Williams is 6-6 six and six in the SEC this year. Tom Crean, now in year two, is 2-26 and 26 in the SEC. 2-10 last year, 2-16 last year, 2-10 this year. 4-26 overall through 30 SEC games. And oh, by the way, don't know if you know this, had a top 10 recruiting class, has three top 100 players on his roster, has the potential number one pick in Anthony Edwards, and they're still terrible. And they're still terrible. And so it's so funny to me. Last year, Tom Crean's excuse was, oh, you know, I didn't inherit very much. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, listen, it's going to take time and we're doing the best we can. And if you remember the statement, he actually said these guys, basically, basically what he said was these guys should be thankful that I didn't run them off. And so that was last year. This year, the excuses were too young. We're not mentally tough enough. No, Tom Crean, you aren't earning your paycheck. You Listen, Buzz Williams is squeezing every ounce out of this team, out of Texas A&M. He's got him at 6-6. Six and six. He just beats you guys at home. And you got Anthony Edwards. I know Anthony Edwards was a little sick, and they've had other issues. But, man, you can't tell me. Tom Crean, what are you doing, man? You're 2-10 in the SEC with this team? I would say this. I look across this league. I think Buzz Williams is doing a better job than Tom Crean. I think Jerry Stackhouse, even though he's only got one SEC win, he beat LSU. He played Kentucky twice tough. You can't tell me that Vanderbilt is not an improved team from a year ago. So Tom Crean gets the shout-out of the day along with Buzz Williams. We're giving a shout-out of the day to $3 million a year coaches because one looks every bit the part and the other one looks like he's stealing money, and that's Tom Crean. All right, so that's all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Great show as always. I mean, let's be honest. I crushed it. Nailed it. Duh. I'm awesome. Um, and also, of course, Nick Coffey really was the star of the show, let's be honest. Uh, so I appreciate you guys listening. Fun show. Great to have Nick back. And I just I appreciate you guys making some time. So I appreciate you guys listening. As always, if you're not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, how awesome I am, all that stuff. If you're not following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, uh, I'm nailing it over there. So you really got to be following over there. My college basketball picks. I also do like a little preview every day in the story section that a lot of you guys seem to like. So make sure that you're following me there. And finally, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. That's all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Uh, he is an Australian legend. I appreciate you guys listening. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I'm sorry that my voice is so annoying. I appreciate you getting through the show. That is all for today, and I will be back later this week.